She's Julie Roxanne. And he's Alistair. And And this this is Far Out. A podcast about stepping off the beaten path and learning to live from our center. People tell you, even though that's not society's underlying message, but they'll tell you up front, oh yeah, do what makes you happy. Find out what those things are. You know, those things, by the way, are getting a job and working nine to five and <laughs> having 2.5 kids and a white ha- like house with a white picket fence. But do whatever you want. And <laughs> as long as it's that. As long as it's that. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing that I'm quitting, not so that I can go get like a corporate job, but so that I can go do dieta and medicine work back in Peru. Mm. Great. Go quit the Peace Corps and tell your mom. Tobacco is seen as not only a connector plant, but like one of the master teachers and healing plants. And that, that is a complete 180 in perspective. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, hello, beautiful people, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Far Out Podcast. Welcome, welcome. We're so happy you're here. We have a good one in the bag for you today. You might think I say that every time, but that might be true. Uh, (laughs) This one is particularly cool. We are talking to Michael Peterson. Michael is our friend. We met him back in March when we did our first ayahuasca retreat. And he is a student and might we say a uh, really promising one at that. An impressive one. An impressive one. Uh, He's been studying the medicine for the last two years. He's a student of our teachers, Zach and Jess, and uh, he's just all around an impressive guy. And we thought it would be really cool to have a perspective of someone who's earlier on the path on this Exploring Ayahuasca series. The conversation, let me preface this, goes into all sorts of places. We start with talking about his personal story, which is worth listening on its own. If that was only the podcast, it's it's good. He's gone through a lot and, and it really gives a sense of who he is. And we learned a lot because we didn't know all of his personal story either. And, and then we go on to talk about tobacco because he's also studying tobacco with a shaman down in Peru. We talk about meditation. We talk about healing. We talk about trauma. Dieta. We talk about so much. And he's such a beautiful thinker. You can tell that he's been... I mean, the guy was like reading existential philosophy at 14. So you can imagine... Typical INTP. Yeah, well... You can imagine the kind of conversation he can hold now. And so we learned a lot. We had a lot of interesting and thought-provoking moments, and we hope you do too. So let's just get into it. Let's get into it. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Good morning, Alistair, and hello, everyone, wherever you are and whatever time of day it is for you. Your skin is looking very radiant today, listener. (laughs) Very radiant. You must be doing something new. It's beautiful. (laughs) Today, we are very excited because we have our friend, 
and student on the medicine path, Michael Peterson with us. And without further ado, Michael, welcome to the Far Out Podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited for this one. We, we met you back in March during our first retreat with the ayahuasca family here in Guatemala. And uh, I think you're about two years into your studies with them. Yeah, it'll be two years in two full years in August, but Ooh. it's been very condensed in <laughs> some ways. <laughs> yeah, you're very far along for what they usually say about like, okay, at the two-year mark, you can be there, you can be there. You've you've gone. Kind you've of gone. kind of intimidating, you know, when you realize <laughs> that you're a student and you've only been on the path two years and we were like kind of just starting. And it's like, oh God, is that where I'm going to be in two years? <laughs> or like, is that where I'm expected to be in two years? Yeah. Expected? No, but I mean, that's the cool part. Part, right the medicine takes you where you're supposed to be and however long it's going to take yeah mm. so mm. maybe you'll be even farther along maybe you'll be somewhere else and quite frankly all of that's comparison so yeah, you'll yeah. be wherever you're at yeah i know that we wanted to start off with some context and some of your own personal story because actually we don't know that much so i'm excited to hear like I asked this the other day to someone who was just like, give me a sweeping overview of your life so far and how you ended up here. Yeah, the SparkNotes version of my life. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, first of all, hi, everybody. I'm Michael. And <laughs> I guess currently I am studying ayahuasca and plant medicine with teachers both here in Guatemala, although that's location might be changing soon and also with my teachers in Peru. So for the question of how I got here, um, about two years ago, mm -hmm. I had a decision to make. I had a super traditional upbringing in Texas, conservative family, you know, big hair, everything's loud. Yeah. Uh, at least on my dad's side and my mom's side of the family is from the Northeast. And so it was this really interesting Texas, New York combination. Oh my God. And, you know, my childhood life was very much so dictated by these social structures and social hierarchies. And I felt very much on the outside of them, but they fascinated me. Mm. And when I was 14, My dad passed away. He committed suicide. And that was kind of a big defining moment for me. Yeah. You know, not to downplay it. I've had a lot of time to, to work on these things and everything that went through. But, you know, when you're a 14 year old boy and you lose your dad and especially when it's sudden, mm -hmm. yes, the suicide and, and the death and the lack of, of, a parent that you've had in your life can affect you. I think equally there's this component of, okay, well now who is my role model? Mm. How am I supposed to grow? What am I supposed to be? Mm. And so for me, what I did is yes, I had my own inklings of what I might want to do, but I also tried to figure out what my dad would have wanted me to do mm. and what my mom would have wanted me to do and how can I make all of these things work together? Mm. So, you know, did the traditional go to undergrad, 
work for worked for a little bit doing work with AmeriCorps and then in some healthcare technology companies. Then I went to grad school and I knew I was going to grad school. Both of my parents went to grad school. The same continuation of what am I supposed to do mm-hmm. without really putting too much thought into why do I want to do this? But I was going to make it mine, right? It's like both my parents have their MBA. Well, I'm going to get my MBA and I'm going to get a degree in public policy. So I have a more broad perspective on things. And I do think that the broad perspective helps, but it was still very much so within that story. Mm. So do my time in grad school, time to go get a job. And I was already on a social entrepreneurship track, which for those of you listening, an MBA program might not be the best place to go Mm. for social entrepreneurship. Uh, It can be, but make sure that you're finding the right program. Mine was not. Yeah, I I tend to think an MBA program at all is not the right track for entrepreneurship. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you can get a lot of like really great support and build your network. But at the end of the day, the way that you learn businesses by doing it. And so if you need to to pay $60,000 for two years to have somebody tell you to fail fast and fail forward. You're you're now saddled in some debt and uh, you have two years where you haven't actually been working in business. Mm. I I think my, my advice to anyone listening on that path would be go look for an apprenticeship as fast as you possibly can and, and start getting your, your hands dirty. I fully agree. And I think this is important because within Western society, we essentially do what we're told, Mm -hmm. even if it's not an explicit being told, it's like, okay, well, I want to progress in my career. I need to go to graduate school or get you know, a master's or a PhD in order to improve my career opportunities so that I can then go make more money, which is the status symbol for how well I'm doing in life. Mm. And there's, there's not always thought about, well, why is that what I'm going after? It's like, cool. I know I want money. I know I want social status. Do I understand where all of that comes from in my life? What are the roots of that? Mm. So I'm curious how you figured it out so much faster than I did in a way. I guess maybe age-wise not, but for me, it took actually getting that money and this and some of the status to realize that this was bullshit. Like this sucked. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, so in in many ways, I was kind of blessed by the fact that I grew up in the way that I did where I was surrounded by a bunch of people with a lot of money mm. who were all still miserable. Yeah, And I mean, yeah, you have happy people in there. I don't want to just throw everybody under the bus, yeah. but it's not the norm though. It's not, it's not like there are, there are the shining examples, but I wouldn't say it's the norm. Yeah. And their happiness is defined by these external values mm-hmm. and these external mm-hmm. things. And you know, you would see it if they lost their job or they're, everybody thinks they're so great, but there they are cheating on their wife, cheating on their husband, you know, having these domestic disputes, their kids are stressed out all the time and it's just not a healthy way of living. Mm. And so, yes, you're checking all these boxes, but fundamentally you're still miserable. Yeah. And I think it's, it's 
really valuable if you got that insight, because a lot of times I think we see their public persona and their public life, but you don't see the marriage that's falling apart in the background or the kids that are growing up without them or, or the just lack of personal values or conviction, right? You just see that they've had a lot of success in a public way. Yeah. And, and quite frankly, it wasn't just watching it. That was my experience, right? Mm-hmm. Like my dad was a pretty successful stockbroker. He was miserable and an alcoholic and had, was cheating on my mom and had a separate life and mm-hmm. ended up committing suicide. But from a traditional standpoint, great job, great house, building up the savings, doing the career thing. Mm-hmm. My mom, you know, did the traditional track for a while of like, she also got her MBA. She took her job. She was gone doing financial management, stockbroker, but was trying to fit into this society that she mm. was not really a part of. And it wasn't how she grew up. She was her dad. My grandfather on that side was a professor of psychology. Mm. And so she grew up in this academic setting and switching from that to this business setting where everything's about status, status, status. Not that that doesn't exist in the academic world, but everything's bigger in Texas, right? And so it's just in your face all the time. And there's all these games that are being played to different levels of obviousness, depending Mm -hmm. on how closely you want to look, but people are okay playing them. Mm -hmm. And my question became over that time, Okay, how should I live my life? Like people tell you, even though that's not society's underlying message, but they'll tell you up front, oh yeah, do what makes you happy. Find out what those things are. You know, those things, by the way, are getting a job and working nine to five and (laughs) having 2.5 kids and a white, like house with a white picket fence, but do whatever you want. And as long as it's that, as long as it's that. <laughs> and, and so I'm, I'm there and I'm looking at it and how old are you, by the way, around this time? So probably in between 14 and 16. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, you know, I hadn't escaped the bubble yet, but I was having these thoughts. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I had depression prior to my dad killing himself. I used to joke not really a funny joke. I used to say that if my dad hadn't killed himself, I would have. And Mm -hmm. figuring out what that was has been a big part of my journey, Mm -hmm. but it was all of that pressure that I didn't see. And then after my dad died, you know, because my parents were divorced, here's this influx of inheritance and okay, I'm not going to touch. I'm not going to go buy cars and no, I can't, you know, live on it forever, but there's an opportunity. There's a platform of great. What do you want to go do? Mm. And because I was dealing with these major concepts of potential for the future, but also a heavy prevalence of death. Mm. <laughs> and such a young age too, for all that. Oh yeah. So not, I don't know how relevant this is, but my freshman year, the year that my dad died, I was going to a small private all guys school at that point in time. Hadn't switched to public school yet, but within my class of 90 freshman boys, three of our dads died within a four month period. We were all on the wrestling team. 
there were just other things that continued happening. And so it, it brought us all together in a way, but it was also just this consistent presence of, wow, this is temporary. Mm. I don't necessarily know what's next. I was also going through confirmation at my church when my dad killed himself. Um, so I was like, I think I'm good. Uh. <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, I, I was still learning it all and, and it like religion fascinated me. Spirituality fascinated me understanding what the difference between those two things are. And so, yeah, from, from 14, I started getting really into existential philosophy and philosophy in general and spirituality. When I was, I think, 16, I was in a psychology class. I'd switched to public school at this point in time. I ended up knocking up a girlfriend and having a kid who we gave up for adoption, which reinforced this concept of fatherhood ties mm. um, and what it means to be a father and what it means to provide the best type of life possible. But as all that's going on, I had this assignment where it's, hey, write a paper on any psychology topic that you want. And 16-year-old me was there being like, there's this guy, Joe Rogan. He talks a lot about DMT. Let's do a research paper for my high school psychology class about what is DMT and how it can affect us. Yeah. My teachers loved me. Uh, <laughs> for real or was that a... Some of them did for real. Like, <laughs> it, it was an interesting balance because... I When I switched over to public school, I was coming from a pretty prestigious private school. I was able to pretty much talk my way in and out of everything, mm. which ended up having some pros and cons. Yeah. Uh, and so, so some of my teachers loved my intellectual curiosity. I was also probably a somewhat precocious asshole. Uh, and so I'm getting that vibe a little bit. Like I, I, I'm not gonna lie and say that that wasn't there when I'm. Yeah, like, yeah, I was this kid where my teacher called me out for talking to a girl who ended up being my girlfriend in class, and called me out in front of the entire class saying that I was gonna fail this test. And I was like, okay, well, since you called me out in front of the entire class, when I get an A on this test, will you apologize in front of the entire class? Those are the types of conversations that I yeah, have. Yeah, I know uh, that kid. I know that kid in class. It's like some teachers love him because they're like, wow, that's so great. And some teachers just hate having him in the class. Yeah. yeah. And, and to kind of bring it back to this focus, I think part of the reason that that love-hate relationship is there is because every kid has all this potential. Mm -hmm. Every single one of you. I don't care what your IQ tests say. I don't care really about anything. You have potential. Mm -hmm. The thing is, is that when that potential becomes really obvious and people want to put it in a box and say, you should be using your potential this way, yeah. or you should be using your potential that way. It doesn't actually foster that creativity and that exploration, which for me is key. If I'm not having fun and learning something, then I'm not saying it's not work, but if you're not having some level of joy doing it at some level throughout those hard times, you're not going to be able to make them through. 
mm. make it through that. Yeah, yeah, I think your true potential is always individual, right? Like your your potential is an individual person, and and if that part of it's not fostered, a lot of it's going to be missed, right? Yeah. So to bring it back to the story, which I, I loved everything you <laughs> yeah. just shared, I'm, I'm just like hooked. But uh, you, so I think we left off at the point where you're off of grad school, you have yeah. your MBA and you're wondering what you're going to do for, for a job. And I think the way I'd like to get into that next stage of the journey is what was your mental health like at that point? How are you doing? I mean, if you'd asked me, then I would have said I was doing awesome. Uh, of course. I was smoking pot. <laughs> All day, every day, but crushing it at grad school and getting through it and, you know, fighting the system of the man that's trying to put you in this cultural box of banking and whatever. Yeah. So, so like, huge story, but fundamentally, like, I was eating like crap. I wasn't sleeping. I was smoking pot all the time and not getting enough exercise, even though I knew all these things were important. So... I still had a strong yoga practice. I still had all the things, including pot at that point in time, that I was doing in order to give myself some level of stability and mental health through that process. Mm -hmm. But I knew it wasn't sustainable. And so I got to this breaking point where, you know, I'd had some acid trips with friends (laughs) and some other things where it was like, look, you really need to go study this stuff. Take some time to go deep into it, whether that's yoga, Mm. whether that's classical Tantra uh, from the more like Vajrayana path of Buddhism and just figure out some level of stability that's going to get you through because all of that is way more important than just getting a job. Mm. You've got an MBA, you've got a degree in public policy, you'll be able to get a job Yeah, at some level. Like stability will be there and then – if that stability is there, but you're still this mess of a human being, mm-hmm. what's going to happen? It's almost like you'd figured out the, okay, how do I have a material stability, but mental stability, I need to focus on that because I don't have that. Yeah, very much a Milgram's hierarchy of needs. Let's make sure that I have all the tools necessary that will make me be able to be secure at a foundational level so that I can actually figure out what I want to do and what's important. Mm-hmm. And so finished up school and to the chagrin of my career counseling people, <laughs> I had signed up for the Peace Corps. Mm. And that's a very different topic and conversation. But I had about six to seven months before the start of my Peace Corps service. And I said, I'm going to go down to Lake Atitlan. Uh, I don't know why, but hey, look, I can do yoga there and do a yoga teacher training and study permaculture and start getting more connected. Mm. And I also said, you know, I've been feeling the call for ayahuasca for a while. Let me just do a quick search. Mm-hmm. And the very first people that showed up in that search were Zach and Jess of La Familia Ayahuasca. And it was like, oh, hey, we are interested in Vajrayana Buddhism. Oh, hey, we were in Texas and uh, my best friend from Wisconsin, her family lives in Bend. And it's like, oh, yeah, we lived in Bend too. And we're taking this interesting approach to the medicine path. It's like, 
Fuck yeah. <laughs> uh, so signed up, and that was the very first thing. I only signed up for one retreat. And that was the very first thing that I did here. So I flew into Guatemala. I came in. There was literally a volcano erupting during a lightning storm as the plane was landing. It's like, what is this magical place? <laughs> Took an all-night shuttle to four to five hours to the lake, got in around 1 a.m., passed out, got up the next morning, got on a boat, went to the retreat center. Wow. Uh, Great start. Yeah. And so, you know, beat Zach and Jess to the retreat center. I was just sitting there drinking some tea and then see these smiling faces. And and that was the start. And it was kind of frustrating because my first two ceremonies, nada. Mm. Um, nothing happened. <laughs> and they'd be like, doing this wrong like i i've had psychedelic experiences before mushrooms lsd some synthetics and i was like there's literally nothing happening (laughs) and zach's there and he's talking to me after one ceremony he's like look you've got some resistance (laughs) i don't know what it is but like there's something in your body and the medicine's working her way through Mm. and you'll you'll get to that point where you pop so, you know, during the off day, had a cacao ceremony, had a massage, cried my eyes out during the massage mm. um, as all the medicine started to come through. Night three and four, <laughs> popped both nights, huge life-changing revelations. And after that retreat, I signed up for every single retreat while I was still in Guatemala. <sighs> yeah. So it it started to ex- expedite the process yeah. in a way that I didn't know what was actually happening. Um, when did you when did you actually make the decision to like was there a point where you just formally decided you were going to study because I know at that time Zach and Jess didn't have the training program that they've designed now or were you just like I'm here I'm going to be here for the rest of this. Well, so I knew that I wanted to study the medicine and because they didn't have that training program, you know, I'd heard Zach say, look, if you want to study the medicine, you drink it. Uh-huh. Like it's that simple. <laughs> sign up. For, if you want to do it, you actually do it. You don't just talk about wanting to do it. You, you do those things that allow you to have those experiences. Yeah. And so the other part being dieta, 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 not ayahuasca, ayahuasca, ayahuasca. Yeah. So when I was here that first time, I, did like two cacao dietas uh, and probably around 20 ceremonies. And during that time, I was like, yeah, I really want to, I'm feeling that this is what I'm supposed to be going to, mm-hmm. but here's the Peace Corps. And I worked so hard in grad school to be like, okay, everybody else is going corporate. Peace Corps is going to be my experience. I'm finally getting rid of all these stories about what, you know, my dad would want me to do or what my mom would want me to do. The Peace Corps is my solution to that. So I ended up leaving Guatemala, leaving the medicine and not knowing when I was coming back to it. Peace Corps was supposed to be two years. Mm. Uh, and went to Peru, which is a terrible place to do the Peace Corps if 
you're somebody who's interested in the medicine because you're like, it's so close to me and I can't go there and I'm not supposed to talk about these things. Uh, but in the Peace Corps, my I'll call their mayor ended up th- thinking that I was a spy for the CIA and, you know, all these little things happened. My visa papers were torn up by a drunk office manager while I was at work. And so there was this question posed of like, okay, we can either change your site location or you can figure out what to do. And I had to spend a, a decent amount of time be like, okay, I think I, not I think I know what the answer is. I know what the answer is, but getting comfortable with what that answer is and uh. saying, I'm going to quit my Peace Corps service early which is going to mean that I have to go back to the States for a little bit, knowing that I'm quitting, not so that I can go get like a corporate job, but so that I can go do dieta and medicine work back in Peru. Mm. Great. Go quit the Peace Corps and tell your mom that. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I I feel this is a, this is like this, this tension, whether it's that, that's a particularly good one. It, but it feels like it's part of the medicine path is everyone it's like you, you you have this call i think we felt it to some degree so far yeah uh, we're, we're way kind of behind you on on that path but the tension is there where it's like the feeling has been the same it's like this is the path right now and oh man this is going to be a lot of work yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's going to be awkward to explain <laughs> but i have to there's something really clear and crystal clear about it. It's like, well, it's not your job to decide whether or not you like it, but it's like, this is, it's for me, that's how it feels it's like, oh yeah, this is what I'm doing right now. And, and, it, it, and, and whether I find it comfortable or not, doesn't matter. The, the road is already happening. I just have to walk it. Well, the question is what makes you not comfortable with it, right? Because if you know that answer and you know, it's your truth, what is this other stuff that's mm. coming in that's making you say, oh, but I don't know. I should be doing all of those questions like still come up. Yeah. And so, yeah, the tension is very much so there. And I yeah. think for me, I view it kind of as acting both as this internal process of refinement and commitment to that path and to those decisions, but also just it's the junk getting out of the way. Mm. Like, if you know that you really want to be doing medicine work, but you've got this story from your family about like you should be working in a bank, like if you're acting based off of what other people want you to be doing, then you're not actually in your truth. Mm-hmm. And that's going to create a bigger disresonance and disharmony in your everyday life. It's another way that medicine works on purifying you. Yeah. And, and the fun part is, is it doesn't stop. Uh, like, <laughs> That's nice to know. It, it, it gets more challenging, yeah. right? It's like, hey, great, you've now made this commitment. You're settling in. Are you ready for COVID-19 and all, <laughs> all of the shifts that come with that? And like, what does that mean for your path with the medicine? How committed are you to it? Mm-hmm. What does that end up looking like? You don't know all the financials that are going to work out. And it's terrifying to think about like okay i'm seeing all of this money go out the window for my training and ceremony and travel 
is it worth it? Mm -hmm. And not, is it worth it to my ego? But maybe the better question is, do I have trust in the universe that this is actually what I'm supposed to be doing? Yeah. And it's about continuously developing that line of trust, both in yourself and in both in the egoistic self's ability to respond to consciousness Mm -hmm. and the overall trust in consciousness that just like to go with it. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think there's something else that's happening for me as we've kind of embraced a little bit. And I, I, I resonate absolutely with the way you just described it. It almost brings up challenges that you have to solve as well. Right. Like, so it brings up things for me that maybe I was trying to avoid in different ways and, and, it kind of forces like, hey, you need to find a solution for this as well. Mm-hmm. And that's a really beneficial process too, like the challenges along the way that, and, and like really forcing you to face them as you go. I would love to, first off, I'm going to say, if ever, anyone listening is interested in hearing more about Michael's journey as a student, we will have a conversation on Patreon about this. So tune in to Patreon, go over, pay us, you'll, have, you'll get the thing. I just want to, we wanted to talk to you about tobacco because that's been a big part of your journey. And uh, you've studied, I think, down in Peru with, or you're studying currently. Studying. It's hard to get down to Peru right now. Yeah. The the intention is there to study and it's a path that I'm on. Yeah. Yeah. And I think just first off, for anyone listening who, who is not familiar with this, and I really, I wasn't just a couple of months ago, but... Tobacco is the master plant. It is one of the master plants. Yeah. So let me just put a, a couple of things in, in context here. <laughs> uh, for, for those of you who want more details about the training, which some of this will touch on, go check out the Patreon, support these guys. They're awesome and doing wonderful work. Uh, I'll make it interesting for you, I promise. <laughs> As far as tobacco goes, so when I first started doing diet in Peru, I'd ask, you know, Zach, hey, where should I go? And put me in touch with a tobacco. Mm-hmm. And I thought I was just going to do diets because, again, diet is where this all comes from. The answer is not ayahuasca, ayahuasca, ayahuasca. Dieta, dieta, dieta. Tobacco is foundational to that work. And so, yes, there's, it builds and I'm, I'm studying it, but it was also the very first diet that I did when I was in Peru. Oh, seriously. You went from cacao to tobacco. Like that was your, wow. Um, and, and so like major cleaner, major teacher gifted me two Icaros, one of which is I think Alistair's current favorite. Yeah, I love it. I've been, I've been working on it for myself. I didn't know tobacco gave you that ikra. Yeah, that, that was a gift from tobacco at this point where it's like stacked on top of each other. It's like, okay, here's your fear. Let's get this fear out. Here's this anger. Let's get this anger out. Here's this judgment. Let's get the judgment out. Here's sadness. Oh shit, sadness can't leave right now because there's another level of fear underneath that and all, all this work. But it eventually got me to a point of just pure stillness, pure awareness. And I was like, fuck yeah, this mm. is beautiful. Mm. Um, continued to do some more diets. And at one point in time, my teacher down there, it was I was not drinking tobacco. 
but there's tobacco in all the diets. Mm. And he's saying, instead of the plant name, he said tobacco. Mm. And it threw me for a loop. And I was like, something gonna happen. Like, and it put me in this weird dialogue with tobacco where I was like, I'm here to study ayahuasca. I don't necessarily want to study tobacco. Well, that thing where we talked about fighting what's happening and just what the universe wants you to do. It was like, look, you're going to be studying tobacco somehow. Mm. And so I'm still in that process. I'm still very early on in that process of studying tobacco. I'd like you to share your thoughts around this though, because I think it's in the West, right? We've been brought up with tobacco as like tobacco kills. And here you are studying, you're kind of on the path of being a tobacco and tobacco is seen as not only a connector plant, but like one of the master teachers and healing plants. And that, that is a complete 180 in perspective. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So if you look at the U S right. And you look at native Americans, tobacco is a very potent, beautiful plant for them. Mm -hmm. It was a teacher plant. It was used in trade. Um, It was used in healing. Since that time in the West, we've had the creation of tobacco plantations, of mass-produced tobacco, where it's not just pure tobacco. It's tobacco plus all these other additives creating a relationship that is very much so both toxic and dependent. Tobacco, I don't care if it's jungle tobacco or if it's in the States, like it is still addicting. Mm. (laughs) Like, but that's something to learn from and to work with. And so that's my understanding for the portion of Peru and and the more indigenous cultures is one, it does, as you mentioned, Alistair, help facilitate the connection between other plants is a connector plant. You can look at whether that's because of the massive amount of nicotine content that's in specifically uh, nicotina rustica or mapacho or, and, and how that actually affects the chemistry that's happening through, or if you want to look at it at the energetic side. But tobacco connects, it protects, it teaches. When we're talking about how something teaches, though, that's a really interesting question to me. So if we externalize things and we say, oh, you know, tobacco's teaching me this, ayahuasca's teaching me this, Ayuma is teaching me this, Tawadi is teaching me this, Roble is teaching me this. Mm-hmm. That's all fine and well, and those things are probably accurate. If you look at how those things are teaching, that's what I find interesting. So for ayahuasca, in my view, it's amplifying what's already going on in us, right? So you're having a rough time getting centered and it's teaching you how to get centered. Well, yes, the spirit of the plants is helping you do that, but it's also your energetic body that's being like, hey, look, you're off center. It's so amplified right now. You can see that it's off center. Mm -hmm. Let's learn how to get back. And that's where you meet the medicine halfway, right? Mm -hmm. You've got to do the work. Mm -hmm. Um, The medicine can help show you what that work is Mm -hmm. uh, and help get some of it done. But at the end of the day, you're the one doing the work. Yeah. With tobacco, because it works on all these things, like, and when you're drinking tobacco, it's a very different experience than when you're smoking it. But, you know, oh, I'm having all this fear come up. Well, it's coming up so it can be released. Mm. Oh, 
I'm smoking tobacco and I feel this need, this grasping for support. Okay, well, you can use it for that support. You can ask for its support and for its guidance and its help, right? But once you're aware that you're grasping for it and that maybe you're losing the consciousness that it brings to it, that you're bringing to it, that's the ground that you can actually learn it, mm. right? It's like, oh, here I'm grasping. Here I'm not grasping. Yeah. Here there's awareness. Here I'm letting my awareness just go. Oh, there's ease and grace in this. I'm trying to accomplish something. Mm. So all of the experiences that we have in life, inside the medicine or out, are always the universe and consciousness teaching us, right? Mm -hmm. Plant medicines help amplify and teach specific lessons in addition to some of their more energetic properties. So with tobacco, it can protect. And when you have that feeling of like, oh, I'm solid, I'm grounded, it's that foundation from which you can go off of, mm -hmm. and it's connecting you to the medicine. So even though the experience is more intense, you're more grounded in mm -hmm. it, it's like, oh, okay. It's this vertical line, center, straight through your central channel, beautiful. When you start, I find the tobacco also talks to me, mm. not in necessarily words, yeah. uh, although that's not necessarily out of the question, but if I'm smoking a mapacho, which is a really fat jungle tobacco cigarette for those of you who don't know, but let's say that my, I lose my awareness and I lose my intention and it just becomes, oh, I'm doing this only for enjoyment when the intention was to set a prayer. Mm. I'll get a little tickle or a burn in my throat. Mm. I'm like, oh, hello, I'm back. And as soon as I do that, if I refocus and realign, I can still continue working with it without that happening. Mm. Otherwise, it's like, oh, this is starting to burn. My body is rejecting this. And so it teaches you how to listen to your body. Mm. Um, and that's what, in my opinion, the majority of the plant medicines are doing. It's like, great. There's all this energetic stuff that's happening that we can pretend to understand mm -hmm. <laughs> and at different levels, maybe get gifted some level of understanding of it. But fundamentally what we're learning about is ourselves and how our bodies, which are our vehicles throughout this experience of awareness actually work and learning to trust that wisdom that's in there, learning to understand that, and really powerful plants like ayahuasca, tobacco, toe, coca, wachuma, chirixanango, all of those different plants can help provide us both with these physiological experiences that can help realign us and with these emotional and mental experiences that we can learn from, mm. right? So if I were to use Chirixanango as an example, if I may, like on a biochemical level, it works on the parasympathetic nervous system and it helps just calm everything down and get you to be more comfortable in a parasympathetic state, mm -hmm. which allows you to be naturally more responsive to life around you because you're finally getting out of the fight or flight, fight or flight reflex that 
is constant in today's world, right? So that is physiologically going on. And it's good for, you know, arthritis and a bunch of other things too. On an energetic level, wow, this is what it feels like to be relaxed. Mm. Now that I know what the feeling of relaxation is, I notice more when I get Mm. into a state of anxiety or when I go into a point of stress or worry about anything. And so by giving you that platform by which you can tell that you're aligned, you're able to see when you are off of alignment and then through practice, the time in which it takes you to get realigned goes down and down and down. I, yeah, that's, that's been my experience so far with different plant medicines. It's like, especially for instance, the last ceremony we did, I was just extremely still and my mind was very quiet and I felt very aligned and it's such, I've never felt like that at any other point in my life. Not to that degree. I might have like raised different versions of it, but this was just, wow. Okay. This is what it feels like. And, and it just gives you a point to return to because otherwise, how can you go back to being relaxed when you don't even know what that feels like? I, I, I'm a trained hypnotherapist. And in our training, they used to say like, you can't just start your session by saying, okay, now find a relaxing position and just relax. Most people don't even know what that feels like. You have to guide them to that. You have to like take them to this through the steps. So yeah. And honestly, this, this conversation around tobacco, we had it, we, we talked about this, I think it was a couple of weeks ago because I have a history with tobacco that is really, that I now realize that the spirit of tobacco is helping me through that. But there was also, it was also very unconscious. I was not, there was no spirituality behind it. I was just smoking uh, and it was a crutch and it was just like getting me through each day. And I smoked for probably eight years, which I'm, I'm young still. It was, I, smoked, <laughs> I started smoking young and I quit young, but French. yeah, I'm French. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, um, it is such a connector and it is, it is, all these things are true. And yet I also, I wanted to talk to you about this because I felt like there is no way for me to have a healthy relationship with tobacco, which I think is interesting because when you take it as a spiritual practice, then it becomes very different. And also we're talking about a different substance, like, like this mapacho is not the same as Marlboro. Very different. (laughs) It strikes me a lot like, I mean, what you're describing, I, I love it. And I think you've articulated it really well. My experience of it as well, early on with the plants, is, is the way they show you parts of you that maybe you weren't so aware of before. And then you can work with them to kind of to notice when you get off and, and all this stuff. It reminds me a lot of meditation. Mm-hmm. That's what it makes me think of. And that's, some, that's an area I'm a little bit more familiar. It's like in meditation, you know, over, I would say, like the last six or seven years, I've been able to cultivate a certain state and, and a, a practice that allows me to kind of bring awareness to that state. And so then when I go sit in meditation, I, I can see the differences in it. Like if you have a daily practice of meditation and you do that for a month, it will be it can be phenomenally interesting because you show up different every day. And then you can start to ask new questions that you couldn't before, which is like, okay, well, where is this coming from? Or why do I feel a little bit like that? Or like, what's going on in my life? 
Like you can just be much more precise with what's happening instead of a victim of it and just mm-hmm. unconsciously acting it out, right? Like there's a level of curiosity and intentionality. And as you get better with this stuff, you know, and, and you, you can start to cultivate certain states and you can bring actually what you're discovering in your meditative practice into your life, right? Which is the ultimate goal of meditation is to, to start to bring it outside, outside of your practice. And it strikes me that what you're describing with plants is just another approach to, to, to me, something very similar and a powerful one at that because it kind of works in a different way. In some ways, the plants are much more obvious than meditation, <laughs> <laughs> especially ayahuasca. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's, first of all, if you're only having the experience with the plants while you're working with the plants as in you're only taking your experience with ayahuasca as the truth while you're in an ayahuasca ceremony, that you're not bringing that work out of the ayahuasca space into your actual life. And just like within meditation, you start on your mat or on your cushion and you've got your, you know, 30 minutes to an hour, however long of focused meditation. But eventually you start bringing that level of awareness off of the mat into your daily life, into your interactions. So that let's say that you're, you know, having a conversation with your partner and then all of a sudden feelings start getting escalated and there's a little bit of stress and tension instead of playing into that stress and tension and letting that dictate how that conversation goes you can be aware of it. You can catch it. You can look at where it's coming from. You can look at why it's coming from that way. And then you can start playing around with the, do I want to cultivate something here? Do I want to actively be a participant in it? Which at times is really great. And I encourage it. And also, do I not want to do anything here? And including in that not doing, not enact with that energy, but just watch it Mm -hmm. and see it, right? So I'm not trying to cultivate something that's the opposite in response to it. I'm not trying to fight it uh, in any way, shape, or form, nor am I trying to fall down into the rabbit hole of what it is. It's just maintaining that awareness. And with the plants, that obviousness of when you're taking a substance, here is this thing right in front of you. (laughs) And it's something that is well, with ayahuasca in particular uh, and tobacco in particular, are amplifying these things inside you so that you can look at them and so that they can be cleaned out, then it's really fertile ground, no pun intended, to start digging in and to start looking at, okay, do I want to cultivate something new here? Do I want to take this thing out? Do I want to just see what happens with it? There's a couple things I want to say about everything you're saying is one, what you're describing is responsibility, right? Cultivating, or in other words, freedom, cultivating actual freedom, right? That's what meditation does. And and I think that's what plants can help us do too. And that actually a story came up in my mind when, uh, when you're, when you were talking about this is when I started meditating, I started practicing at a Zendo in San Diego. And I remember going up to my teacher, Elizabeth at the time and you know, this was mind blowing. Zen was mind blowing for me. It was changing everything. It came out of a really good time in my life, a really hard time in my life, but it was really good timing. And 
one thing I was struggling with is like, okay, wow, I'm waking up in a way through this Zen practice. And it starts to help you see where you're not awake in your life. And so I remember going to my teacher and asking this question where I was realizing, I was like, you know, I'm being so unintentional in places in my life. Like when I'm driving, I'm listening to the radio as I drive and like these things, like this is too much. Mm. They're like, I'm not being intentional about one thing or the other. And I went to her with this question of like, do I need to always like not listen to the radio when I drive? Now? You know, like all of a sudden it's like, how do I start? Like, this is a monster task to put into my life. And her kind of response, which I chuckle at now because I think it's so true. is like, just show up on the map and work on it there. Don't worry about the rest. And to me at that time, it's like, what do you mean? Like, how do I not worry about all these other places where it's becoming blindingly obvious that I'm not being intentional or that I'm acting in conscious ways. And I think her advice was really true. It's just like, just show up on the mat. And what I'm getting at here with meditation, but also I sense it very strongly with ayahuasca and, and the other plant work is that if you just keep showing up for this work and you work on it, it works on you. And then it starts to, it starts to go into your life and you start to not make those decisions anymore that you might've made before. Mm -hmm. And, and it's like, it's not such a willpower thing where it's like, okay, I have to do this and this and this. It's not like that. It's more like, it's, it's kind of like water going through like a jar of sand almost. And it like mm -hmm. kind of drains in and then, and then you just find that you start you start being different. And that's where like the real power is. And sometimes I feel like that can be hard to grasp as an American, particularly. It was for me, especially in the beginning, is this understanding of it's going to change me. I'm not going to have to change everything. And the last thing I want to say, and I, I, and I want to end on this because I, I wonder if you'll comment on it, Michael, is, you know, meditation is a powerful way to get at that. But sometimes plants, like we're saying, are kind of less subtle in a lot of ways, right? And I think this might be sometimes. <laughs> some, some, some plants can be very subtle, but I'm particularly thinking about like if you're taking wachuma or ayahuasca or sananga, um, uh, these can be very intense experiences, even for someone, the uninitiated, right? Um, whereas in meditation, a lot of times you can spend a lot of time just like not connecting to it. it. It can be hard. Some people have it all right off the bat, but a lot of times it's hard. It can be a little more inaccessible, a little more esoteric in a way that, you know, it's psychedelics in general. I think this is one of the advantages they have. If you don't get too lost in the intensity of the experience is that it is intense and it can show you things fast. And I feel like this might be really a really, really potent approach for Westerners, particularly if it's coupled with meditation. But in contrast to meditation, because it's so direct and because as Westerners, we're so desensitized, like we're, we're not um, really connected to ourselves and to these things. And we really struggle to realize like, you know, where you were at in grad school, the story could have been so similar for me. We don't realize till later. I look back on, you know, my early 20s and I'm horrified at how unhealthy I was and how, and maybe even more so, how little I realized mm. the path I was going down. And plants have this power to really wake us up fast to that and get us started in a different direction. And I think that might be the power for them, particularly for us Westerners. I 
fully agree with that. And I think this is where Dieta is important and a bunch of other components. There was something that you said at the beginning of that, which is where it's you show up and you do the work, mm-hmm. right? You can show up and not do the work. It is possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And quite frankly, that's what the majority of people are doing in their everyday lives. It's you show up, you wake up in the morning, fuck, I've got another day to be here. Fuck, I've got all these stresses. I've got all these pressures. But we're so used to dealing with it that we just go through it. Mm-hmm. And it's normalized both by our individual actions or in our social and societal context of like, oh, yeah, sure. Maybe if everybody around me is fat and unhealthy and chain smoking, whatever, uh, and putting all these toxins in their body, that's normal. Mm-hmm. And so you don't see it and you're not being taught to listen to your body. And if you are listening to your body, then you're being told that you're weird and being relegated as this person off to the side because there's no room for that person to understand something is different. And one of the things that my teachers have said and that I've experienced myself is that one of the signs of consciousness expanding is the ability to hold different perspectives at the same time. So it's... Not that I have to say, oh, you're so wrong for doing all these things Mm -hmm. or that I'm so right for doing this. It's just these are different perspectives. And that's what the meditation, I think, is really about to me, where it's like, okay, I can go to my mat and I can just sit there. And that's starting to do the work. And then the question is, well, what is doing the work? (laughs) Who is the doer of the work here? And is that me trying to build my own ego and my own understanding? Or is it me trying to connect with something that's higher than me and that is part of us all? And holy shit, I've just said the word trying twice. That means that there's an action and I'm actively intending to do something instead of being aware that it's already the case Mm. and falling into that remembrance and with the plant work i think yes it gets some of the doing something out of the way it's i'm doing a diet or i'm doing an ayahuasca ceremony or a wachuma ceremony sure but it's also like those things are doing you <laughs> and it's like hey ayahuasca is gonna try on a michael suit today <laughs> out of this or like an alter jr suit and and those different things happen but with the potency of of entheogens and psychedelics and plants in general it can break through that level of obfuscation that we generally have within our lives where we get so blinded by the day-to-day practicalities of what we're supposed to do based off of the different stories that we have internal and external that we forget that we're the creators and the thing that is created Mm. at the same time. And when you work with the plants, they amplify, specifically with ayahuasca, my understanding of it and my approach to it is this weird combination of, yes, it is something separate. 
and it has its own spirit. And yes, it is me Mm. and you and everybody. And so when that awareness is brought back to you, that interconnectedness is brought back to you, that lesson that you didn't process through when you were a child and that your trauma gets cleared out, whatever it may be, there's a unending unfolding and unraveling. And, you know, the onion example gets used a lot within ayahuasca. You're just taking off another mm. layer of the onion every time. It's just, yeah. but fundamentally at the center of the onion, if you take away every layer, there's nothing. Mm. And out of that nothingness, our thoughts create form, our forms create patterns. And that's what we're living and experiencing. Through doing different diets and working with different plants, we can fix our, our bodies are literally designed to operate in this, right? Mm-hmm. Like from our ancestors on, we've figured this thing out, except for in the past maybe like 50 to 100,000 years, like development of agriculture and grains and everything like that. But even since just the industrial revolution, right? We are eating differently. We're not listening to our bodies. We're over-rationalizing everything. And so we've gotten out of attunement. Mm -hmm. And just like for, for the people who are like, plant medicine is weird. I get that y'all are talking about it, but like, I don't like to work with plants. Mm -hmm. That's one, totally your prerogative, more power to you. (laughs) Two, I'd argue that you do work with plants Mm -hmm. on a daily basis, whether you're using plastics, whether you're drinking coffee in the morning. And my mom is somebody who's like, no plant medicine all the way. Mm -hmm. Like just, she's she's also pro use the power of prayer. So I'm like, yeah, Yeah. interesting component but but she doesn't understand plant medicine but she loves coffee mm. and yeah. it's like look, <laughs> coffee can put you in one place tea can put you in another and those are more subtle plants but if you keep on working with them over time if you keep on drinking drinking coffee oh, i'm starting to notice i'm jittery and so there's balance well there was a author and i'm forgetting his name right now Maybe it'll come to me. We both read this book, Julie Roxanne, a while ago. He was actually pointing out, it's only so common now, but like if you think about it, when tea came to the UK, that was a powerful fucking drug. Like that was... That that was... Tea consciousness. Yeah, tea consciousness. Like, and that was a thing, you know, like that that chain, that when you think about it, it's actually pretty amazing how much tea probably changed or did change consciousness. And... Coffee, when you look at well, coffee belongs in a whole different category of strong drugs. And this, to me, makes me think of, it's funny because we don't think of tea and coffee as drugs, but then you talk about plant medicine and I commonly hear friends talk about ayahuasca as a drug mm-hmm. or mushrooms as a drug, right? Because they, they've been labeled that way in that, in that culture. But like you said, it's like, but coffee's coffee. And yeah. it's like, God, he's like a stronger drug than mushrooms. <laughs> so, so Michael Pollan, who uh, wrote, you know, Omnivore's Dilemma, How to Change Your Mind, all these books. He's got this audible book 
about the history of coffee and caffeine. Oh, nice. And it's like a two-hour listen, okay. Audible exclusive, really easy to get through. But one of the things he points out in that is that they've done these studies where the plants, specifically coffee and tea plants, when they produce caffeine, the bees and the pollinators are more likely to return to that plant. So it was caffeine was developed as this way for the plant to actually start growing and expanding and maintaining itself and being pollinated. Mm. And if you look at what's happened with the spread of coffee, the spread of tea from, you know, at least with coffee being relatively small growth plant in Africa to now being all over the world, a, a fundamental thing, the driving force behind our industrial revolution because instead of having a beer in the morning which doesn't really lead to making that great of machines you have a cup of coffee you're energized you can keep on going at two o'clock you've got another cup of coffee to where coffee breaks are now part at least in america of our legally recognized work system Uh where you have to get paid during coffee breaks like (laughs) because because they've shown that people having their coffee breaks leads to an increase of productivity which is good for the company like these plants that we work with a hundred percent affect the culture and the mindset of the uh, well affect the culture and mindset of both the individual and how that individual affects the overarching culture and overarching mindset. And so the difference between maybe a drink like coffee or even a more, it's not necessarily more subtle, but a tea like plant like tea, which is actually a very specific type of plant and something like ayahuasca Mm. or tobacco is like, well, what's the intention Mm. behind it if you have an ayahuasca break in the middle of your work day and then you go back and you're vomiting <laughs> it doesn't really help the bottom line of the company no <laughs> not, not in the slightest no. i mean it might help the employees be like wow i'm spending a lot of my time yeah. doing stuff for other people <laughs> and man i should probably be taking a little bit more responsibility for my own actions in life Shit, where's my mapacho? I need to <laughs> contemplate this. <laughs> I, I think I think what you just said is one of the realizations that keeps coming. Every ceremony that that we've done, I, I'm I'm at eight now. I am every time it's just a new layer of understanding of this. It's it's all about the intention. Doesn't matter what you do. It's all about the intention behind it. Like I really, it's hard to explain how it's coming to me during ceremonies. I'm not going to try, even though I really want to. But it it really is like that thing. Uh, It doesn't matter what you do. It's how you do it. And it's why you do it. So it's like, I think this is also what helped me in the conversation I was having with myself around tobacco, because I could, the reason this was, happening for me is that one ceremony, I actually really enjoyed smelling tobacco in the medicine space, which I hadn't before. I remember one time after a ceremony where you came up to me and you started blowing tobacco on me. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to throw up. It's awful. 
which is as apparently when you feel like that, you just, okay, let's double down. That's probably a good thing. But I was smelling in the medicine space and feeling so comforted and so grounded. And it was beautiful. And I just thought, what would it look like to work with tobacco? And we had this whole conversation and you just, you just basically, that's what I remembered mostly from it is it's also, it's about the intention behind it. If you just go and have a cigarette between, you know, in France, the coffee break is with a cigarette. So like, that's also include, you you get paid to smoke. That's important. The nicotine keeps you going. And so that was always my approach to cigarettes. Like that quick thing I do before I have to wrap up my work for the day and I can go out and just like, you know, like suck on the pit and just like survive before, before the end of my night, but at the end of my work day, but it, it really is different when I have a cigarette on, on my altar next to me in ceremony. And I just like take one puff and I don't even like take it into my lungs. It just stays in my mouth and then it just comes out. It's such a different approach. And it's, and while I do see the addiction wanting to creep up, like I've been seeing it, but as long as I'm observing it and I'm working with it, I'm using that as a place of work rather than, Oh, okay. I want another one. Then I'm just going to smoke another one. Uh, yeah, it's been just really interesting for me to grapple with that, especially with my relationship with tobacco before. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, tons of great points in there. <laughs> the mm. The relationship with tobacco as it grows, right? You probably didn't start smoking it just as a thing to do. Mm. You probably smoked it either because a friend was smoking it or because you were stressed out and you either wanted some level of grounding and you culturally understood that that was maybe something that happened or you wanted the social connection, right? Grounding, connection, grounding, connection. And over time, it became less and less conscious. And bringing back that awareness to it mm-hmm. is key. And I mean, I've had my own relationship back and forth with tobacco. My dad was a major smoker. So one of the reasons I started smoking was to connect with my dad and that kind of memory. Mm. And then it it becomes different, right? Mm -hmm. Then it becomes my thing and that grasping energy. The interesting thing that you said to me though, is this level of, you can feel the addiction that kind of pull in towards it, right? but you acknowledge it and you're working with it. Mm -hmm. And this is maybe a more Taoist approach to things, but my strong feelings on all of our personal traumas is that in general, maybe there's some stuff we don't remember or we don't really feel like looking at, but we can still acknowledge it's there. And when we acknowledge it's there, we can acknowledge that we don't want to work on it right now. Mm -hmm. And that's totally fine. Mm. It's totally fine to say like, look, uh, like one hand on the head, one hand on the belly. You're like, I acknowledge that I am angry. Am I ready to let this anger go? Yes, no, maybe. Mm -hmm. If the answer is yes, great. If the answer is no, great. (laughs) If the answer is maybe, cool, even more room to explore. But you have to actually acknowledge it. Because it's by, like, let's say that you're working with a client or somebody's in ceremony who is 
dealt with a heavy amount of sexual trauma, right? If that person refuses to look and acknowledge that that trauma happened, that leads to a very different outcome Mm -hmm. because they're pushing it away, right? It's literally just this, I don't want to deal with, like, I don't want, not even I don't want to deal with it and say, I don't want to look at it. I cannot look at it. And it's this self-protection. And so it gets thrown off everywhere and it actually gets amplified Mm. versus if that same person is like, and, and these are really sensitive and powerful things to work with, right? So it's not like it's easy to do this. These are traumatic events that we don't want to look at, that we want to protect ourselves against. Mm. And even if the outcome is, hey, I recognize that this is something that happened on me. And like, there's probably a bunch of different ways that this affected me. I can see that it happened and I'm not ready to work on it right now. That pure acknowledgement Mm. that it's there is helpful. Mm -hmm. And so taking that, and it allows it to have space to kind of unfold, to get to that point where you're ready to look at it and deal with it. Same thing with tobacco from that kind of grasping energy side of things Mm -hmm. in that addiction side. It's like, I recognize that this is there. Mm -hmm. And I've I've been personally smoking non- Mapachos right now, and this is something that I went through. It's like, oh, I recognize that I'm smoking this just to smoke. Mm. I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm not going to actively engage with this yet, but I'm recognizing that I'm doing this. I'm not denying that. If somebody were like, Michael, you're just enjoying the cigarette, I'd be like, you're absolutely right. I'm just enjoying the cigarette. Mm-hmm. And that actually then allows me to fully and just enjoy it. Cause it's like, I'm not trying to be something else. I'm not trying to do it. Yes. I know it works and like has this other effect, but I'm not stressed about that mm-hmm. right now. I, I know that that's there and I'm just doing this. And by keeping that awareness there, then the invitation is, okay, how many times can I actively say that I'm not working on this <laughs> before it starts being like, yeah, buddy, it's time to work on this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, it, but it, by doing that, there's a level of ease that comes with it that's not, hey, I've got to throw this thing off or I don't want to look at it or I have to go look at it and work really diligently on it. Sometimes both of those things are there, but that middle path of, yeah, there's something to work on. It's going to get worked on when the time is right. And then trusting the body to say, like, now's the right time to do this. Yes. Yes. There's something very organic about that approach. And I think it it, it makes me think of just the power of awareness. Like, as you hold that, you know, that you're smoking this for this reason, and and it just naturally starts to to come, right? The time will come. It, it, It tends to be. I think that can be a hard thing for people to swallow who haven't worked with that, you know, or who haven't had that experience of awareness. But the themes you're talking about there, that's the same way I approach money work with my clients. It's like, okay, let's let's cultivate awareness. Because if you get aware on this, you're going to change your behaviors, whether 
like, let's instill some habits here and do that. And whether it's with the time we work together or after, your habits will start to change because you're working on this awareness part. That part will come on its own. It's kind of like the, the thing you're telling behind you, right? Like wherever you steer the car, it goes with you. And I think that can be hard for some of us who, who haven't, you know, where awareness falls on the side of woo-woo and, and Eastern philosophy and stuff like this. But uh, that I think I love what you said about that. I think it's that practice of holding awareness for it, even if it's something we don't particularly like and learning not to shove that down, because even just holding that awareness tends to change what we do and how we approach things over time. Yeah. And I really love it because in my experience, like what you shared, the whole thing made me really reflect on my first ceremony, which was very intense and difficult in some ways. I kept noticing my mind wanting to fix. Like I had this list of, okay, I have all these traumas, like sexual trauma and a bunch of other things. I'm coming here to heal those and I'm going to do the work and I'm going to like check the list. And I remember being overwhelmed with a lot of information on the first ceremony. And one of these informations was that as I was tuning into what my body needed that night and what the work was, it was clear that I was not going to do any healing, like that, that it was not the night to do the healing work on the <laughs> sexual trauma. And there was a, I kept having to like relax into this, my body, it's not for today. There's more time. You know, it's like, this is not happening. Like, there is no goal in this to some extent it's like this it will happen when it's right and when it's ripe and when it's mature and I think that's what I like about this approach is instead of doing the healing work you let the the thing kind of come to you so that then it can be looked at and dismantled and healed It, it made me think of this idea of if you have a walnut tree in your garden and you see that the walnuts are starting to get ripe but they're definitely not ripe if you try to open a walnut that's not ripe, you're going to have a hard time getting it out of the of the pod and it's not going to be good. You're not going to have a good time. If you just wait for it to be ripe, then it's really easy to take it, look it and boom, it's kind of done. It still works. There's still some you still have to engage with it, but if you wait for the right time, it's so much easier. Ooh. And it's such a much it's such a it's a much more loving approach to healing, too. It is. And I mean, that patience, cultivating that patience for it to be ripe can be the work, right? Because we, we get this, I want it to be done now. That's a huge thing in the West. Mm. It is that That is part of doing the work. But yeah, when the fruit is ripe, it'll fall. Mm. And our bodies are designed and through the help of plant medicines and diets and all this stuff, they this is what they facilitate. Our bodies naturally want to go to a state of health. They want to go to a state of healing. They want to do that. And so they are constantly trying to do that. Mm-hmm. And we get in the way. I was just to say, I think that runs very contrary to how we actually think of our bodies in the West, which is as machines. And if you think about a machine, it's not naturally going to a place of health. It's running down and you have to continue to repair it. And uh, yeah, I just think it's, it can be a revolutionary act just to to embrace the realization that our bodies actually want to move back to a place of health. Yeah. And, and I mean, look, the aging process is real, but it also doesn't have, we don't have to age necessarily the way that we think we're going to age. And we're <laughs> finding out 
all the time, like, oh, wow, we can really do some amazing things at ages that we didn't think were possible. And traditional science approach to treating symptoms and not the actual root cause of things is there. For those of you who will indulge me in a little bit of woo-woo. Uh, <laughs> Let's go there. I mean, it's woo-woo and it's science, but the those mental thoughts and patterns that we have that function as stress throughout the body, that function as resistance in not being able to imagine that healing process, being addicted to our traumas, being addicted to, oh, well, I had this trauma, but it really made me who I am now. And I love who I am now. So I don't want to let go of this trauma. Like all of, all of that is there and it can actually prevent some of that healing from happening because it's that attachment to things. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, at a higher frequency, at your high energetic body, right? Your higher self, you're perfect. <laughs> you are. Yeah. Like, you are happy, you are healthy, you are free from suffering, you are free from mental anxiety. And that is beautiful. When we're in this very, you know, condensed reality where the majority of us still have a very defined sense of egoic self, mm -hmm. like that'll tell us stories. That tells us stories about how our body operates. That tells us stories about what we want to hold on to. And so this is why it's not, there's, there's a trap rather. There's a trap about actively fixing and actively trying to get somewhere. And I fall into this trap all the time. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm able to speak to most of the traps because I like to fall into them. <laughs> or, or even if I don't like to fall into them, I consistently do. Yeah. But from my experience, it's this trap of like, where am I trying to get to? I know. Like, like I'm trying to meditate. That's not meditating. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to be this healed individual. That's not being the healed individual. It's not accepting wherever I'm at right now. And again, that whole entire accepting where we're at, accepting what's going on, just bringing awareness to it, not trying to change it, not trying to say, well, I'm accepting where I'm at now so that I can get there. <laughs> like, no, no, no. Just like fully be with whatever's going through. And if that reminder that you are already perfect starts coming up through that and clearing through some of those energies, all the better. But the mind isn't going to do that for you. It's going to be stillness and letting go of the stories of the mind and getting back to that point of rest where the body actually can heal itself. Mm -hmm. And in our current society that is full of stress, that is full of you need to be doing X, Y, and Z, that's like, how quickly am I going to get notified about my next Instagram post? Oh, I'm so enlightened and on the spiritual path, but if I don't do my marketing for my yoga company and get on Instagram and talk about it, how is anybody going to know how enlightened I am? <laughs> like all this bullshit is just like, look, breathe. If you are listening to this podcast right now, close your eyes, take a Big breath in to your lower belly. Exhaling, just letting it go. All of that stress that you think you have, all of that anxiety, 
Yeah, it can still be hanging out there. But that moment of breath, that moment of exhale, where you just let everything go and you can feel all that space, that's our natural state. Mm -hmm. And all of the thought patterns come in, all of the stress patterns, all of society's pressures come in and they affect that. Mm -hmm. And we're really adaptable creatures. And so we get used to functioning within them. And we get used to how we operate within them. And so we create these stories of self and who we are and how we best respond to things. And so then it's like, well, I know that breath is the best way to solve this. And maybe that's true. Mm. Like I tend to generally fall into that thought. But if I constantly identify with that thought, this is the best solution, this is the best thing, then for me, I've lost that curiosity. So getting rid of the conclusions that we've come to whether it's about plant medicine, good or bad, whether it's about self, good or bad, whether it's about trauma, good or bad, don't come to, to a conclusion. Mm. Just acknowledge it. Acknowledge that it is. Not that it is good or it is bad or it is cool or is, my favorite one is, is interesting <laughs> or is boring. Like, that's my big one. It just, it is. And... That's really cool. There's a there's something that you said that I just wanted to contribute a different, even a different language. You said we could let go of thoughts. And I've been reading the work of Byron Katie. And she's actually, her, her whole thing is about like aligning with reality. So it's very in line with everything you just said. She has just a very different perspective on it. Or like it it's, it's pretty strange. But what she says, it's, You can't let go of thoughts because you're not thinking, you're being thought. And so it's not about letting go of the thoughts. It's just about not believing them. And I kind of like this idea that because letting go, I feel like because the wellness industry is like popped up, letting go is almost, in my mind at least, it feels attached to an action. It's like, okay, I actually have to let go. How do I do that? Well, I'm going to try to let go. And then you fall into that pattern where you're actually not allowing. And, and this idea of just, oh, the thoughts are here and they will be here because the mind's job is to, there's, that is what the mind does. It's a screen and thoughts are being projected onto it all the time. Try to hold still without thoughts for a minute. I dare you, you know, like, am I trying to, or am I just doing it? This is, this is that's the interesting question. Yeah. I, I fully agree. My, if you try to hold your, if you try to not have thoughts, you're also creating tension in the body because mm-hmm. that's how you're going to shut it down. And that's actually not the way you want to go. It's this, I've had conversations with Jess around this, and I may have had conversations with y'all about this just around. I really, my my least favorite term that has grown to popularity is do nothing. Uh-huh. One, I, I can get that, you know, maybe the Zen tradition creates this juxtaposition of how can one do, yeah, yeah. do nothing. Well, Yeah, maybe that's helpful, but not doing anything, that change in semantics from actively doing nothing to not doing anything is that not taking of an action, that that just letting be. Yeah, the thoughts are going to be there. So if I'm trying to push them away or trying to get, like, let go of this thought, like, 
<laughs> if I don't have to identify with the thought, yeah. I can watch it. I can watch myself watching it because then I can start realizing that by me watching it, I'm actually feeding it at these different solo. And so it's just deeper and deeper and deeper that goes to layers. And at some point in time, especially if y'all continue with this path, my guess, <laughs> pure guess, like there's these moments that I've had where it's like the tiniest little thought comes into my head. Mm. And all of a sudden it's playing out in some way, shape or form. And like people can talk about this as manifesting. I, mm. That's a different word for me with lots of baggage around yeah. it. But in terms of literally being a creation of thoughts and awareness – and coming out of nothing, that's 100% what happens. And here's this nothingness that comes into my field and all of a sudden I have awareness of it. And all of a sudden after that, it's playing out in a way. So that's when it becomes the, the cultivating and noticing, oh, this thought just came in. This thought might be affected by my baggage, my previous history, my judgment. If I keep on feeding that, it's going to keep on going. Acknowledging that it's there, mm. expanding awareness, getting different perspectives of how that same thing could play out, letting a different perspective within that open consciousness take place and take hold is an art form. It's the art of living. Mm. And I think this is a good place for us to start to kind of wrap up. Yes. Um, Michael, I, before we end, would you share with us a little bit about, about the direction you're going? Because you have some visions for for how you're going to do this work in the future. Perhaps you'd say it differently. <laughs> <laughs> Let but, this work do itself yeah, for yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I'd like you to share that so people who might be interested can know. And then maybe you can also share where people can find you doing that work. Yeah. So first of all, thank y'all for having me. This was super fun. This was. Uh, And in the future, my call is really towards both shamanic dietas, which is working with one plant for a certain amount of time, very specifically to understand the energetics of it within your body and to go through some of those physical, mental, emotional, spiritual cleanings. And also to start bringing in diet and nutrition in addition to working with strong plant medicines. Uh, The way that this is playing out in the near future is that I'm still going through my training with ayahuasca (laughs) and with tobacco in a different context. But I'm working on a line of tinctures and offering both sound healings and combo. Sound is is its own energy and its own healing mechanism that is a separate podcast. (laughs) Uh, And combo, I know y'all have talked about before already. So yeah, I offer combo, I offer sound healings. And if you're interested in some very potent plant tinctures, we'll have those on our website, which is soulsoilalchemist.com. Still under development, but around mid-September, we should be up and running uh, with things to go. Our primary product that we're coming out with is a meditation tincture mm. that's also really good for creative endeavors 
and just settling in. It is a combination of blue lotus, white lotus, pink lotus, and red lotus. Mm. In addition to bovinsana, which is a huge heart opener, mimosa, which mimosa root bark, which has some benefits to it, passion flower, so you're again getting calm and focus, skull cap, and a little bit of lemon balm. Wow. Uh, so all together, those plants create a really nice open space where you can be both creative and focused at the same time. And if you just take a drop of full before, you know, a yoga class or before your meditation in the morning, uh, or before ceremony, perhaps, uh, it can really help facilitate a more expansive awareness throughout that process. I think something to highlight here is that you're talking about creating this tincture, but and I'm I know you're working personally with each of those plants and you've developed a relationship with them. And I think that's really important to highlight is that like these are not just random plants that you're throwing into a cocktail. Like, <laughs> no, these I, are all plants you have a relationship with. I, I have a relationship with them and either I have dieted them or I have worked with them in some degree and am planning on dieting them. Uh, after that, that first kind of round of tinctures comes out, what we have in the pipeline is a ceremony product line which is a combination of ayahuasca bark extracted, uh, which you still get MAOIs without the psychoactive effect. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so you still get all the healing properties in addition to one or two different plant essences. So I know that we all recently dieted oak. Mm -hmm. Uh, And let's say you wanted to connect with oak just on your own time or maybe connect with it before ceremony, really make that intention of calling it in. Fifty, Let's say 50% ayahuasca and 50% oak, wow. just to be able to facilitate that connection. So they all have the medicinal healing properties of the actual plant on the physical level. And there's a little bit more focus on the energetics there too. I sing to all of the tinctures uh, as I'm prepping them. They get worked on every single day. They're made with love and kindness and for the highest interest of all. So if you like that sort of awesome hippie shit, (laughs) uh, I mean, like I say that jokingly, but also they are really made with love and they are pretty potent tinctures. Um, Yeah. And I, I, I can't wait to try them. Like now that I know, I think this is going to be magical. And I feel like it's, this is important to say that even if you haven't had experience with, with that as talking to the listener now, there is something really different from connecting with a plant on a physical level and connecting with the plant in a way where someone who is who has a lot of like medicine in their system singing through like we've we've talked about this on our podcast with Zach about like how Icaros are a technology that delivers and charges medicine so it's like just knowing that you'll be singing to the tinctures and like people don't just go for it that's okay. great and I want to kind of try to sell you to people in another way which is that we've worked with you with combo uh-huh. um, quite a bit. And I think what you're saying about you put a lot of love in everything you do. Well, I'm saying that you put a lot of love in everything you do, whether it be the tinctures or with combo, we can personally attest to 
your your presence and ceremony and how amazing that's been, as well as with sound healing. Mm. Um, so if you ever have the opportunity to work with Michael, he's an amazing guy and he has he has developed an incredible skill set. Your path has been <laughs> mind blowing to watch uh, how fast you've done this and how talented you are. And also it's a little mind blowing to see your potential that you're like one day at a time stepping into. But um, yeah, it's been, it's been really, really a pleasure and uh, uh, honor mm. to, to share some time on this path with you. So where can people, because the site's not up yet, you have an email address that people could reach out who may be interested later on? Yeah. Uh, so info at soulsoilalchemist.com is the best way to reach me right now. Uh, again, we're just getting started. Lots of transitions happening. So Instagram and Facebook all coming but quite frankly, I don't love spending my time on Instagram and Facebook. <laughs> so email and once the website is up are the best way to go forwards. If you have any just general questions, I'm happy to go there. And once we're back in the States, I've got to have you all on my upcoming podcast mm-hmm. as well, uh, where we will explore these concepts a little bit further and talk about specific plants and people's experiences with them. Wow, that that. sounds awesome. Where are you going to be geographically for people who are interested? Yeah. uh, (laughs) So with everything that's happening in the world right now, the decision has made to be a little bit more mobile. Uh, So we're going to be based out of Colorado, right in between Colorado Springs and Denver. So both of those areas we're 100% open to. And then eventually going down and we'll have a calendar on our website of where we're going to be traveling through, but you can expect New Mexico, Arizona, California, Pacific Northwest. And I may even go back to some of my roots and hit up the Southeast seeing uh, what that market looks like there. Because despite all the the biases and jokes that we can all make, and I know I make, um, there's, a lot of really awesome people there mm. and it's a beautiful part of the country. And I think it's an underserved market for some of these things. Mm. Uh, so yeah, follow me on Facebook, like me on Instagram, do all those things that millennials are supposed to be doing. <laughs> um, I'm not going to lie. I'm really bad at that stuff. But if you want to have conversations about anything, feel free to reach out. That's great. And maybe to wrap up, if you would be so willing, would you sing us an Icaro? Mm. I will do my best. Fair warning, everybody. I'm a, a little sick right now. So we will see what my voice sounds like. I feel the medicine. She's in my soul, her highest highs, her lowest lows. I feel the medicine help. 
been me teaching me loving me I feel the medicine she's in my bones let her come let it go do you feel the medicine like I do? Reminders of what we always knew. Just feel the medicine. Helping you, teaching you, loving you. Just feel, oh, just feel, just feel. And in time you'll heal Just feel Oh, just feel Just feel And in time you'll heal Ayahuasca's medicine let her in, she'll take you back to what you've always been. Tobacco's medicine, let him in, let the sunshine that lies within. Gracias, gracias, ayahuasca, help us bloom, help us blossom. Gracias, gracias, medicina, nos enseña, nos apoya. Gracias, gracias, espíritu. We open our hearts to you. Everything above, everything below. Great, great spirit, infinite unknown. Gracias, gracias, espíritu. We surrender, yes, we surrender, oh, yes, we surrender all to you. And thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. 
I'm so grateful for this conversation and I hope you really enjoyed it too. I feel like there was a lot there for everyone to learn. Well, if you want to support the podcast, you know what to do. Yeah, there's going to be an epic bonus conversation. Epic. If this was not enough for you, <laughs> we have another 48 minutes and something seconds. Actually, it's 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 a really good add-on. We go into a lot more about like boundaries and and like forging your own path and finding your truth, aligning with what, what it means is. to be a student and go on the path and, and a lot of some of the things that come up with like But I think it's so much, it's so applicable beyond the medicine. Yeah, yeah. I think to everyone on this, it's like you don't have to be, a, to, you don't have to be interested in the medicine path. What's it mean to go on your personal soul journey? Exactly. That's what it's about. It's a great conversation. It could have been its own podcast episode. Oh yeah, definitely. But, but we're just going to give it to our patrons instead. So you can head on over to patreon.com slash the far out couple and if you support us at the lowest tier and above you get access to all of our exclusive content including this conversation that's as low as three dollars a month and yeah, it yeah. makes a big difference in supporting this podcast yeah really yeah totally two other things you can do to support us the first one is you can leave us a review as i said before if you don't want to leave a written review although we really love to see those you can also just rate and yeah. just that helps a lot adding those stars you don't even have to give us five stars although I don't know why you wouldn't but uh, <laughs> yeah if Julie you Roxanne might cry if you don't no. so that's one good reason not to give us four stars no just if you are like by reviewing and rating the podcast you're helping it come up on the search engine and that is really important help us feed the machine yes so final way you can support this podcast is grassroots baby share it with a friend who appreciate share, it share share start the conversation that's what we're all about that's what we do thank, thank you for you. being here we love you See so you much next week toodles toodles